right, today I'm excited to have, uh, I don't even know how to put words to it. I think most of you know Hal Kerner, uh, know of Hal Kerner, and I know that it's a little bit different than who we'd normally have on, because we normally are celebrating these sort of like no podium runners, as we call them, the ones who do it just because they love it. But that generation of no podium runners was really born out of what I think the generation that Hal was at uh, at an elite level from, let's say, 1999 to 2013, 2014. And the body of work that he had and the way that he was doing it is, is actually very similar to how we're out here doing it now. And so we, we look back at sort of like this gritty runner who's in it because they clearly love it, whether they're actually standing on a podium or not, uh, that's sort of the runner that we celebrate. And so today it's just, it's fun to have Hal with us and I'm excited to get to know you, Hal, but first off, thank you and, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's certainly a pleasure. Uh, of course, it's great to talk about, uh, the good old days, uh, if you will, um, younger yeah. days. Those are nice yeah. to talk about too. Um, yeah. but just like you said, I mean, the real uh, passion uh, that I had for the sport was really just being out there and finding yeah. that grit and getting to the finish line. So yeah. I hope throughout our conversation, I think all your listeners will be able to have you know a little commonality. Yeah, there. man. I mean, so, so clearly uh, where you come from and, and just watching you, like I, I literally my ultra running career, let's call it a career. Uh, started when uh, my good friend Jeremy passed Unbreakable across the table on DVD to me, and you know that that thrust me into the into the this obsession of, with the hundred miler. But uh, just just even the way that you were doing, it, I mean, maybe maybe Killian, you know, wearing the white spandex, he was <laughs> European, and he was already like in this like Europe, Europeans were already in this place where the sport was quite developed professionals and all that sort of stuff. But you, Jeff and Anton were just, maybe you can give me a better word if this isn't a good word, but I mean, it as a compliment, you were sort of dirtbag runners who just loved it, clearly loved it. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Uh, well, we were, yeah, we were definitely addicted to, um, running and, yeah. and to a large extent. Um, yeah, the lifestyle, um, some yeah. of us went about it a little differently. Some of us had different means. Um, Sure. There was, uh, th that was kind of the boom of, you know, not commercialization, but just the awareness, uh, yeah. of the sport and unbreakable really was, uh, you know, that was a stepping off point, I think for the sport, no question. Yeah. It was huge. And then you had the mastery of like the, how the event unfolded made it so watchable. Like today I still have a hard time watching these, you know, uh, live streams of all the different events. You know, I love yeah. it, but at the same time, like, can people really watch this all day long? <laughs> even though yeah. it was a much shorter format, even at the time, I didn't think anybody, you know, I yeah. said kudos to JB for seeing that, you know, mm -hmm. a little. Oh, way ahead of his time. I mean, definitely. that documentary was an hour and 45 minutes. And even, yeah. you know, the other, I think another sort of like landmark documentary of the, the one about the, uh, the race in Tennessee, the race that eats its young. I'm blanking on what it's called. Barclays. Um, or, yeah, yeah, Barclays. Sure. That was that was clearly a landmark moment as well. But that was a developed area era of documentaries. I think Unbreakable proved that people can sit for a long time 
and look at people just <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. And there's a compelling story. And hopefully the characters are compelling. And whether those yes. characters are at the front of the pack or the back of the pack, as we know, yeah. you know, those stories are what I think people tune in for without a yeah. doubt. And, and it, it relates, everybody's able to relate to someone. And really that's kind of how, you know, I saw myself getting into the sport was I could relate to other people. I could be in an event. I could see the people coming across the finish line and I could say, yeah. I can, I can be one of those people, well, you know, if that, I, that's the perfect segue. How, I mean, for you, what was your version of Unbreakable? I mean, so I mean, most of the sport now, there's um, Unbreakable is in our story. You were in Unbreakable, so what was yours in the late '90s? That's a good, yeah, that's a great question. Um, the the sport, yeah, was pretty. I mean, it was a, you know, it wasn't underground, but it was a hard sport to try to break into. Let alone like just doing it right. I mean, the right. feet of it, seeing yeah, uh, where your body could take you. Um, my, what really got it going was, and it's hard for me to, my dad was, uh, friends with a group of guys that had, you know, they were in the mountains, they were trail running, they were running, they were triathletes, they were doing all these events in Colorado. And obviously okay. the Leadville hundred was kind of like that pinnacle yeah. ultra out there, yeah. uh, event. And he helped pay some of those guys. And I do remember him, um, like doing these nighttime runs in Leadville. And that was really just super intriguing to me. Like they would train at night, long distances and even, you know, and then that was prepping them for the race. And I thought that was pretty Mm -hmm. wild. And at the time my dad was doing lots of marathons and doing century bike rides. And it really didn't, I don't know. It didn't really click for me in that regard. I loved being in the mountains, um, whether it was skiing or hiking or doing 14ers and Mm -hmm. that kind of parlayed into it. But I can vividly be, remember being in a runner's roost um, in downtown Denver, and I saw an ultra running magazine, and it was like this black and white magazine. <laughs> I picked this thing up, and it was like fumbling through this thing, and it was, I don't know, that kind of just ignited a spark. And uh, there was, you know, 180 people or something were finishing Leadville, and I thought, I'm going to want those 180 people. Wow. That, I mean, and that was kind of it. And I was running, and you know, I was running, I had a three mile loop I started doing in like jean shorts. And then I did that for a few months and I had a seven mile loop that I did for another three months. And then it went to 10 miles and I did that yeah. for like another three months. And it, that was really, that kind of got me going, but, but to wow. develop it even more, once I got into the sport and once I found a few trail races, it was just a small community. It was, there weren't yeah. a lot of people. It was a lot of friends that, you know, of my dad's and I would show up in events and they were, they would help bring me along and give me pointers and, you know, just be encouraging. And, yeah. and then at the end of the races, there were people right there and you, that was really the feeling for me. It was a community of like, obviously the elation of doing these things and the training yeah. and seeing the rewards of it. But hanging out in the Rocky Mountains all day long was, you know, yeah. that was enough for me too. So. so is that where you grew up? Did you grow up in Colorado or Oregon? Yeah, I grew up in, I grew up uh, south of Denver um, oh. in Parker, Colorado. It was a much smaller yep. town. Um, yeah. And I went through all my schooling in Colorado and, um, and, and thinking about it now, living in Oregon, I mean, we were talking about it last night. It was really hard to get to the trails, actually, and living in the suburbs mm-hmm. of Denver. You didn't do that yeah. a whole lot. And then having the chance to go race in the mountains is really the reward. Like, I would train yeah. on uh, – there was a time where I worked at a health club in Denver, and I would run 10 miles on the treadmill in the morning, and I'd go run 10 miles around a reservoir at night, mimicking nothing Gosh. that was close to it. 
trail <laughs> run, you know, yeah. let alone, yeah. you know, the elevation gain. It's kind of funny. And, and so yeah. it took it, you know, that, that was really it for me. I was so psyched to get out there and be able to, you know, relish in that. Yeah. Just, I mean, there's, uh, not to be negative about Denver. So maybe I'll say to be positive about <laughs> Salt Lake city where I live is like, the branding that Denver get has is sometimes is really, I think the branding that Salt Lake city deserves because right. I'm downtown right now and I can be on a stretch of the Wasatch 100 trail in 15 minutes from right now. Like we get this city life and this world-class trail experience. So I, you know, I'm very lucky because when I hear like that, yeah, your Denver experiences, your training can't, you can't do like specific training to the, to the race that you were going to do. Right. And it took, yeah, I mean, yeah. And it's, I don't think it's gotten better. I mean, just for where I was, I mean, it's busier, <laughs> yeah. you know, getting yeah. into the high country is a little bit harder. Kudos yeah. to the people that can live in, you know, right on the interface and live in places like Boulder and, you know, totally green in places, but not everybody can be at that, you know, right there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I do love Salt Lake does have the, um, access is, is quick, so much quicker. Um, nice. to the mountains. and I yeah. guess, that was really for me too a turning point in my career was moving to Ashland where mm-hmm. I just could leave my house and be 2000 feet up in, you know, yeah. four miles and it's just right here. And I thought of all the miles that I used to use, you know, on a treadmill or running around a bike path or, you know, certainly yeah. I was getting fit, but it just didn't translate exactly to, um, to what I was always doing. And so yeah. luckily for me, the, I had the, you know, I just, I loved going to races. Um, I had that exposure. I was doing a lot of them. I was taught by some really terrible, you know, the <laughs> mentors I had, you know, when you flip through Alternating Magazine and, you know, in one issue, you would see that like a Scott Jurek or an Ian Torrance or, you know, Courtney yeah. Campbell or somebody's already run, like they were filling up every race in the magazine. And I was like, how are you guys running all, all these races from a month or two month, you know? Uh, yeah. and, and that was really, I was like, well, this must be what you do. And <laughs> that kind of started it. And so yeah. I, I've had, I had the time on my legs and I had that experience going for me, but you know, it still mm-hmm. was a, still was a long process to get to the point where yeah. I felt like I was up there, you know, with those elites. So it's, yeah, and, sure. and that's, I think that's a message I try to tell everybody, you know, it doesn't just happen overnight. And, um, yeah, there's so many hours, as you know, put into something you love this much, yeah. and, and, you know, you bleed it and you breathe it and you eat it and you sleep it. And I think that's really, you know, it, it'll take that to get to the finish line of one of these things. My, uh, yeah. you know, uh, I haven't been able to be as consistent as I used to be. And like, my mind is still there and I'm like, Oh, yeah. I'm, I can just go out there and be able to do these things. And you can't, I can't anymore, but you know, I have to think back to like, what was the devotion? What, how much time did I put into this? And it's easy now to overlook that and to think about how many miles you and time you, you know, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Were were you a competitor in high school in any sports? Like, were you already, were you already in this mindset? Yeah. Well, that was the thing. You know, I, I think the endurance part of it was, uh, my dad and I would do longer bike rides and, you know, he exposed me to like five K's and 10 K's. I was, I love sports in general. And so I yeah. played, I played almost every sport. Um, you know, thinking back on it now, yeah, my affinity for statistics and like I had baseball cars and I knew everybody, I knew all the players yes. that they did. Yeah. And that really helped translate to when with the running, 
you know, I saw where the events were. I knew the times. I knew the players. I knew what they did. You know, it was easier to, like, I think analytically think, like, okay, well, this is how much time I'm going to spend. These are the miles I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to yeah. go about this. And it helped me, yeah. I think, be a part of it before I was even in it. And that yeah. that helped a lot. But I was – and I was very competitive and, like, to a fault. I have two kids who – <laughs> you know, there's still, I see the perfectionism in them and, you know, there was yeah. a lot of that in me. And, uh, yeah. so that helped, that certainly helped, I think, but yeah, it could be a well, blessing I, and a curse. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm 41 now. And, uh, so I, when I was way into sports, like in the nineties, uh, you know, th- there was a lot more, let's say shit talking going on between, in a professional and probably still to this day, you know, the, the Giants hate the Dodgers. They're not going to – at the beginning of a game, they're going to be talking shit. They're going to shake hands at the end. Yeah. My, my, my main knock with competitive ultra running today in the elite realm is that they're, they're just all so nice to each other. And that's fine. I'm curious, like, when you're lining up at Western in 07, what's it yeah. like at the starting line compared to now? Oh, I, I bet it's pretty similar. I, I would tell it? you, you know, it's like that correlation between like the basketball players now, you know, they all are friends in the off season and they text yes. each other and all the things too. Um, yeah. We were, I felt like we were, you know, I learned a little bit from Scott Jurek going up the escarpment once. And I remember another runner had kind of tucked right in behind him, like, like, a quarter of a mile at the start of a hundred mile had already tucked in behind him. And I remember he turned around and he was like, get off my ass, like right to the guy, right <laughs> as it started. And I was like, well, okay, that's, I, that's, <laughs> and yeah. I think in some of the bigger races, like let's say 07 Western States, I was in a, I can look back on it now and think I was in more of a mental zone. Like I was so supremely focused that I wasn't like being competitive with anybody else. I just knew, I just felt like there wasn't any, this was my race. I was going to do it myself. I wasn't going to be, I was going to have other outside factors try to dictate what was going to happen to me. And I was going to, I was going to run my own race from the start. And that was really pretty powerful. And I I was able to carry that on for a while through a number of the big hundreds to where you gained that much confidence. It was like, okay, I can be in my own world. I know everybody else out there is training, but I don't have control over them and I have control over me. So I think that was pretty key. Yeah. But you could be in your own, own, own world, own mind. Yeah. But yeah. I lived for, I lived for going to the races for that moment to be with those other, with my peers in, yeah, in a weird way, you know? And it was, yeah. of course you're trying to, you're measuring yourself and all the training and everything else. But I lived to go out there and be with those guys and to hang out with them yeah. afterwards and, you know, to train, to do training blocks, you know, it changed yeah. when I moved to Ashland later, um, with the younger kids who moved here and worked for me, like the way we all trained in that regard, there was still some secrecy, mm-hmm. there were still some egos, you yeah. know, but in general, you know, the, the feeling of pushing each other when we were out there was huge. And I never had that in Denver. There weren't, you know, mm-hmm. there weren't many people to go to train with, you know, and if I was training with someone, I was training with someone like twice my age, you know, right. who were great runners, you know, and they were living busy professional lives. And, you know, then we'd meet on the weekend and do certain things, but it was so different. Right. And, you know, I, I guess that also helped me to, you know, really cherish having a core group of peers that were my age, you know, we were pretty, it was a pretty tight group. And I think now you have luckily with, you know, unbreakable and, and the commercialization and the runners and the internet and, um, 
everything else, the runners now, the pool is so much greater. You know, the talent yeah. is so huge and you're bringing in all these kids. And um, for whatever reason, they find themselves into ultraning. I think that you have got to, at your purest sense, you have got to love this sport because the suffering, yeah. the time spent doing it is unlike, yeah. you know, anything else. So I think that uh, there's a lot of bonding and camaraderie that can be found in that type of suffering too. So and yeah. I, I really... I appreciate seeing that from the younger generation as well. I mean, yeah, these training groups where I think that's the way it has to happen. You know, we always, when I was in Seattle, there was a core group of people and it was like, Oh, people in Boulder are doing their thing. And now we were in Seattle and there were a few people in Southern California and then yeah. East coasters were their own set of deal. You know, we didn't, I didn't yeah. venture too far east to the Rockies, yeah. but, but and then moving to Ashland, we had a core group. So I enjoy seeing these guys, you know, living together, working together and, you know, that's a. Uh, I think that's what's going to help the sport out at the end of the day. Yeah. You'll see times cool. really get pushed. Yeah. Flag so staff, when man. you jumped into the to the hundred mile distance, was the bear your first? Yeah. Uh, I mean, how, how did well, you? So for people who listen to this podcast, there's I, I have a lot of Utahns, and we love the bear. Uh, the bear is super iconic. It's now at the point where it's like a 500 person wait list for next, for yeah. this year. That's amazing. Uh, you ran it year one and won it, I think, with maybe 25 other runners I saw. But yep. you, you won it the first, what, four or five years? Yeah. And it was um, – yeah, I mean, the growth was uh, – it wasn't that astronomical then either. But yeah, I remember right. – yeah, at the award seminary, there's like 17, 18 people. And, and you can't <laughs> – like super – I mean, that's like – it's family at that point, you know, you yeah. had done something with these folks and yeah. you're doing something new. And, um, I really cherish that. The, in the, that course, even today, I've been on most of the newer, the new course, but the old uh-huh. course just helped. It just, you were so out there. That was the thing for me. Yeah. I, I just cherished being out there in the middle of nowhere. It was really, uh, homegrown in so many ways. You know, you'd show up at Leland's fish farm and I didn't even know what a fish <laughs> farm was to tell you the truth. And, you know, so informal, just a sheepish, quiet guy was just like, okay, these are the flags. You'll follow these. Get some rest. You know, and it was like, (laughs) he would be marking the course while I was running. And it'd be at mile 25 and he'd be out there like marking the course as we were going. (laughs) Many years he ran it with me, you know, that was the crazy thing too. But yeah, to see the growth of it, obviously Utahns are, you know, they're athletic outdoors, yeah. people, you know, they're psyched on. And I love to see that. Um, yeah. But, you know, the uh, going back to that day was really hard. I trained for the Pikes Peak Marathon was one thing I was training for a ton. And I, I rolled my ankle really bad before it. Um, and I got through it. And then the bear came up. And then the like the first five miles, we were going across like a cow pasture. You know, you were we were moving through like barbed wire fences. You had to take the fence off cows around by us, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I, I went right into this hole and I, and I, whoops. And I went right into this hole and I, I, uh, I wrecked my ankle and it was like swollen yeah. up. I couldn't believe it. Well, by mile 90, it was done. So we, and my dad was facing me. We, I probably walked the last like 12 miles <laughs> and it was like, not even a walk. It was like, it just dragged my leg behind me and, and yeah. I was leading at that point, And it was like, well, I guess I'm going to finish this, you know, I'm going to finish this thing. And, and the, yeah. that was, it, I guess it taught me a lot, you know, that was huge that no matter what you have to get through these things. Um, yes. and I was, I yes. felt like I was definitely going to finish, 
was not how I ever envisioned it happening. And like, there was no, there wasn't a whole lot of glory with walking downhill <laughs> for 10 miles, like limping yeah. your leg. Uh, yeah. And you can imagine a lot of things were said, a lot of things weren't said, you know, sure. a lot of stuff right. was bottled up. So, yeah. um, that definitely helped. Like I, we joked later, like, well, it could never get worse than this, you know? So I might yeah. as well try this again. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Was that, that was year one. Yeah. That was year one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I saw you, the winning time. Year one was like 25 hours. Yeah. 25 hours. And I was probably on a, a little bit better pace than that. Who knows how it should have unfolded for me. Yeah. I mean, I was in, yeah. I was in pretty uncharted territory, but yeah. yeah. And speaking of uncharted territory, like the late nineties, two thousands, were runners living off of their running? Like I think of now, uh-huh. like anyone who's winning Western States, they might have a contract with Hoka that they can at least survive off of. Did you have a day job? What were you doing? Oh, uh, I had a day job. I was going to school. I had a day job. <laughs> yeah, I was doing all those things. You know, I, wow. it, yeah, there didn't, there wasn't much time for anything else. Um, yeah. and that was really, um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think if there could have been anybody, you know, I just remember like Scott and Carl and, Ian and those guys. And when Montreal like had just pretty much started around wow. that time, and yeah. there were a few people, I mean, but I still remember like you were, you know, you were psyched to get some shoes and maybe a race yeah. entry and yeah. same thing. You know, if you showed up in an event, somebody might buy your meal afterwards or like <laughs> pulling together for a hotel room or, you know, those guys, when I met Scott and Ian, I went down to the Catalina hundred K and I remember, um, riding over on the uh, ferry over there and like a young Luis Escobar was on the boat and he came over and he was just like, Hey, where are you from? Oh, you're from Colorado. And I just remember he's like, yeah, well, Coloradans don't do too well in California. And like, he was kind of <laughs> harassing me and I showed up at the, uh, at the registration, you know, this was kind of fancy for back then. And I remember Scott and Ian were there trying to sell Montreal's, this is, you know, and I was like, well, I'm wearing Montreal's tomorrow. And I remember, you know, they were, uh, demoing to an extent and they were like where are you from i'm like colorado which race are you run in and i was like oh, i'm running the 100k and they were like good luck out there tomorrow and then i was like yeah and, and scott i still vividly remember and i give him grief all the time he was like oh and what's your name and i was like oh my name's hal and he's like i'll try to remember that and then <laughs> I, I just i think in some weird way that was in my head like all day and like luckily it was the last year and i i beat ian's course record yes. that day yes. and that's when that's great. ian was like hey well would you like to be on this team? So it was the right place, right yeah. time. Like, I don't know how any of that else would have happened, but, but that was also, that helped me out a ton, but that was just like, I would get I shoes that. that I would run into the ground, you know, get a couple yes. pairs of shoes. I'm sure Scott and Carl in those early days were the, that was the beginning of yeah. someone trying their best to make something happen. But it, it still took years before anyone was living off of, you they're, know, they're running. They're all yes. Yes, definitely. And and you have when to, you're at the starting line, like what what gear? I mean, I, I talked to the founders of Wasatch uh, at length. I really enjoyed the conversation. Like, hey, in the late '70s, were you really duct taping water to your hands? And like, yeah, we were really <laughs> duct taping water bottles. What was the gear like? Even in 07, maybe '99 in that range. Like, what were you just borrowing road gear and, and trying to convert it and, and engineer it? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I had like. I had these fanny packs that uh, I don't even know what they could have been used for to tell you the truth. And <laughs> the clothing, yeah. Clothing that was chafing like crazy. It, you know, luckily, luckily it wasn't too bad. Um, yeah. But you learn to deal with, 
you know, one or two handhelds. Like there was no vests. Um, right. The, the fanny packs were bouncing all over the place. You were trying to just oh, customize just everything as best you could. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gatorade bottles with duct tape. Um, you had these old hard plastic UD bottles with like, <clears throat> um, tire bike tubes, you know, over the top. <laughs> so, I mean, it's kind of funny now when you look at, we yeah. sell, we sell them for $60 now, you know, right. a water bottle with some, you know, nylon know. strapping to it. So yeah. it's, it's come a long way. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think nutrition has come a long way. I think that, um, Oh man. Yeah. What still, were you, what were you eating? I mean, we have this stuff that, and you know, you guys were crushing it before there was like this finely engineered thing in a little pouch. Yeah. Were you just making stuff. Oh, well, I remember I wasn't, I, you know, luckily I, it was like the forefront of like goo, luckily. Okay. And that was really, I had to learn to really like that. And I know a lot of people have <laughs> options now and they look at me like, when yeah. I try to give advice, they're like, well, I can't do that. I'm like, well, you have to do that. I still think yeah. that myself, you know, that, well, no, yeah. that's what you have to have. And look yeah. at the other guys, there were people dabbling, making, you know, brown rice syrup gels and yeah. um, trying to like, we would load up like ridiculous amounts of uh, carbs. Everybody was trying something a little bit different. And that was really the beginning of now what you see with um, how formulated stuff is and stuff so much better for your stomach and the science behind it and being out there for so many hours. I mean, kudos to so many other industries of endurance sports yeah. to help with that. But yeah, it was, I mean, there's so much trial and error, so many races won and lost on nutrition that it's, you know, that still hasn't changed for a lot of people though. Like that's one yeah. of the key components. Obviously you talk about the mental side of things and nutrition is still so huge and, and being able yeah. to stay up on that throughout. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure those early years probably hardened me to a lot of other things, but I also think I was pretty lucky. I ran with a lot of guys who could never figure out the stomach issues, like could never mm. do it. And then mm. that yeah. was really hard, you know? Yeah. So, well, before I ask you sort of the money question about late race survival, I'm super curious as a, as a father myself of two sons and one daughter, You've spoken fondly of your dad on several occasions in this. And so I'm just I'm just curious about, you know, maybe even just broadly speaking, tell me about your dad. Like, what, what did oh, you yeah. do for work? And, uh, you know, what have you taken into fatherhood with you? Uh, just because I'm, you know, I'm also a student of other fathers. Totally. Oh, well, he worked uh, downtown in uh, downtown Denver. And we lived we lived probably 30 miles out. He was an engineer. Um, okay. And he worked. You know, we talked about it the other day, like he got up at like five ish in the morning and he would make the trek downtown and be to work, you know, and then he'd be home at seven. And for a number of years, he'd take a bus in and then mm -hmm. and then wow. after a while, he started riding his bike every day. And I remember that about him. Like, Dang. so he would ride his bike into work and then ride home. And, you know, he, there were times where he was also running, you know, at lunchtime to get ready for certain things. Um he was big. He, you know, I was involved in scouting. I was an Eagle Scout. We spent many, many weekends in the mountains and hiking. And uh, we would go on long distance bike rides together, I think. Uh, and he was a he was a great athlete, too. So, hmm. you know, that was always encouraged, you know, but playing sports was always encouraged. And, you know, I, he helped out on basketball teams and soccer coaching. Um, yeah. That's and awesome. I think that like that dedication and you know, he was always around and he was always there to be able to, uh, uh, I think, you know, as a parent, it is, it is really hard. You want to, um, you know, you want to have your kids do their own thing and be independent, you know, and you want to yeah. want them not to, 
have troubles in life. You know, you don't want to have see them be disappointed and you don't want them sad. But there's a point where you also have to be a parent. You have to direct and you have to be able to um, guide guide them, even though you know they're. Yeah their minds want to do so many other different things. And I think that now that's helped me say that, well, sports, being part of a community, learning sportsmanship, um, you know, following a routine, all these things are really good. And I try to, you know, and I guess I'm leaning more on that now with my kids, you know, yeah. um, as they get older and, and, and they also, they enjoy doing some of a lot of the things that I've enjoyed doing, you know, and they see it a little bit nice. more. I, I'm hesitant to go all in and be like, oh, well, you should be a runner. And, you know, I kind of <laughs> kept that from them to a certain yeah. degree, you know. They, but they, they probably they, hang out with you at the store. They'll get it through osmosis if, they, if it's for them. Oh, definitely. Oh, 100-mile races are just something to say, which is kind of crazy, you know, like yeah, to yeah, even yeah. have that, you know, have that in the back of your head. So, but Totally, totally. Um, That's great. Let, let, let me ask you this just uh, in the windup here in the final few minutes. This is sort of the the question that I'm, I'm in pursuit of. Like I, I've tried eight 100 milers. I've only finished one out of eight. I'm going back. I'm going to run Zion next month. And so the, sort of the whole premise of the, the this podcast season one has been late race survival. And so I've wanted to I've just been talking to everybody I can about th- this question. Like there's there's no doubt on multiple occasions you're late in the race of a hundred miler. And let's say it's one that you, you don't think that you have a chance at winning, right? I can see the competitiveness, like motivating you to go forward. But if you're out of the running, let's say, for example, and you're, you're at this intersection of quit or keep going. uh, So many times I've chosen to quit and I don't want to do that again. And I'm just curious in those moments, how do you, Hal Kerner, how do you keep going? Oh man. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great question too. Um, and I, um, you know, I tried to, mar- you know, marinate on this a little bit. The, you're right. The, the pull forever was like pretty competition based for me, um, to yeah. see where I stacked up and I, you know, whether that was at the front, you know, I don't, you know, I think that it's also a matter of like, you're tackling a course, or you're tackling, um, for me, a lot of the times it came down to the amount of time that I put into something. Um, there was still a lesson to be learned for being out there and, uh, that's easier said than done. Right. You know, in that moment. But I think that was part of the mental game for me too, was trying to get to where, um, you know, all that added up to, uh, there were so many worse places and worse things I could be doing than where I was. And there were people (laughs) doing worse things in worse places than where I was and probably feeling worse, you know, than what I was actually feeling in that moment. And that was kind of the mental edge of like, okay, I'm, I'm extremely privileged to be out here. And, you know, we would, even at the start line of certain races, I'd, you know, even if my fellow competitors would be like, well, it's just, this is the greatest day ever. I get to go run for an entire day in the mountains, man. And I get to go be in the trees and I'm going to get killer views and I'm going to, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to feel a runner's high and then, but I'm also going to go through these lows. Right. The beautiful part is I knew it can come back around and, you know, I'm still trying to figure out that I, I, today I would still like to know. And I was talking to a friend the other day about it. I was like, some days you just go out there and it's the greatest day running you ever had. And it, it, it was nothing like yesterday. You didn't think today would ever come. Like, 
you didn't think today could be as great as it is after what just happened yesterday, and it is. And, <laughs> and luckily, if you're running an ultra marathon and you're running through days, you know it can come back around as well. I, I truly yeah. believe that. I mean, barring mm. really hurting yourself um, and having right. terrible injuries, you know that's. I mean, we. I mean, I can be. I could be very disappointed with you know my position in the race or how I trained or. You know, I would sabotage my races all the time. You know, I'd stay up late or I'd forget who's oh, yeah. this drop bag or I would leave yes. through there and say, I'm not filling a water bottle. I'm so good. And then an hour oh, later, yeah. you know, and what the hell those was I thinking? Me, yeah. You know, yeah. and those things were on me. And I was like, well, if I can control these things now, you know, and we can get back, then this is what I have to do. And But it was mm. all a learning process, too, to where, yeah. you know, these things are, you know, not not everybody can do these things and it t- it does take that extra little bit for sure to figure it yeah. out to get it dialed in but it's um those things that i mean ultimately i just there was no better place i felt i could be um and you know that changes mm. with everybody throughout your life and what you're dealing with and mm. you know, what your commitments are and what your priorities are but uh that was the purest thing that i had and i still think i have that which is why i love yeah the sport Man, and being out there. That's awesome to think like if I'm, I'm in that position, like, you know, for me, where, wherever that struggle comes, I can either remain out in the Zion desert, which is my favorite place on earth, like literally, or yep. I can go to my, my Airbnb duplex. I think that's an interesting perspective to say that even in the suffering, I would rather be, you know, in the red dirt of Zion than out suffering. I think that's a good place. Uh, to wrap, I know that you've got Shoot. commitments this morning, but Hal, it's it's uh, been a real treat, and I, I thank oh. you for it, and I look forward to doing it again sometime. Oh, thank you so much. This was it was great. I, it's wonderful yeah. getting to meet you too, and yeah, talk man. about our favorite thing. No question. Right on. Right on. Hey, have a good day, and we'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks. Alrighty, see you.